for those tough wake-ups. Stats are misleading. It's Marsh and Mello. Major foul. Wake up to serious sports talk. He fist his head. It's Marsh. The CFL, baby. And Mello. I love Canada. It's Marsh and Mello. This is football. For those tough wake-ups. They're heating up. It's Marsh and Mello. Coming your way, Hamilton. Wake up to serious sports talk. Gas tank gonna be full. It's Marsh. In Canada. And Mello. Why not, eh? It's Marsh and Mello. Thank you, Canada. Everybody's doing it. Welcome to the show. Happy Friday, everybody. It is Friday, May 21st, 2021. That's right. 05-21-21, y'all. And we are Marsh and Mello here for you on Canadian Football Perspective, proudly brought to you by our friends at Fox 40, helping you return to play safely with their latest innovations, the Fox 40 Tri-Layer Whistle Mask and the Fox 40 Electronic Whistle for 15% off all your whistle needs. Of course, you know by now, but do it anyways. Visit fox40shop.com and enter the code CFP15. Punching in those five things on your keyboard will save you 15% off all your whistle needs. Make sure you are doing that. Kyle Mello, today as we record on a Thursday, the day ahead of the 21st, brandishing his Maple Leafs gear. Kyle, where's the hype meter at? Uh, height meter is pretty high. I think the fact that they're playing the Canadians adds to it. Um, you know, I've never seen a playoff series in my lifetime. I think the last one was 79, 90, I thought, or 79. Yeah. So yeah. like not even in my lifetime. Um, I was trying to think of like early nineties, whether the Leafs are, I watched the other. Farber piece on that on sports center that he did where Michael Farber did the old, uh, Michael Farber thing where he does the essay that's. Uh, probably two minutes longer than it needs to be. But anyways, it was really good. And uh, <laughs> and it was uh, it was enjoyable to hear kind of the history of it and talk. But I mean, it's the romanticism of the matchup. Uh, and again, when people are listening to this, game one is already completed. But the romanticism of the matchup can only go so far to carry a series. Like, it's the same thing as we sometimes hear in basketball where it's like Celtics, Lakers. It's the rivalry that's dominated the NBA for over 40 years. And you're like, wait, what? No, like Celtics. I mean, they had a couple of cool series when it was like the big three with KG and Paul Pierce and, and it was Kobe and it was Powell and it was yeah. like that. That was fun. But outside of that, like, man, they haven't done anything against each other in a long time. So I'm hoping this series lives up to the billing that a lot of people are giving it with the actual hockey, not with what we think the hockey is supposed to be. Because when you set a, a standard of expectations, it becomes difficult to live up. Yeah, um, I'll be honest, the nerves as a Leafs fan, and I was telling you before we went on air, the fact that we don't work at TSN anymore, I can be just a big homer and not be ashamed <laughs> for it. Um, you know, Like you the, ever hid that when we were on radio? Come on now. That's true. I try to hide it a little bit, but yeah. So anyways, looking at this series, it, it does make me nervous. And again, game one is already in the books. Um where by the time you hear this but it makes me nervous the lineup changes that Sheldon Keefe has implemented Zach Bogosian back in the lineup even though he didn't play the last 10 games of the regular season Riley Nash playing on that third line we haven't seen Riley Nash in a Leafs uniform uh that makes me nervous as hell and I'm just like okay game one is going to be very telling though because depending on how the result goes Sheldon Keefe has the ability to make changes. Yeah. Now you want to make changes after game one and not game three, when the Leafs are down two one in the series. And all of a sudden you're chasing the Habs. Uh, Cause if that happens and you're trying to make adjustments, 
that makes me nervous. But again, we'll see what happens. Yep, absolutely. Uh, if you are a Leafs fan, if you're a Habs fan, hell, if you've uh, hopped on the pan wagon, if you're a fan of the Ice Cats and you're watching the Sunshine State Showdown <laughs> in Florida, then like me, then you can get yourself some Soda City beer to go and watch some of that stuff. Of course, they are offering brewery fresh beer delivered directly to your door. You can visit their website at sawdustcitybeer.com and shop their wide variety of brews. And it is a wide variety, man. I've been keeping all the cans of the things that I've been sampling with Sam Corbet, their brewmaster. And my garage right now, I've got like 20 cans across the board. And there's about 10 different styles that I had never even really heard of or explored or cared about. But uh, I have uh, had my eyes open to a variety of different things. And you can do so as well with free shipping on all orders over $100 if you use CFP during checkout. And again, that's Ontario residents only must be of legal drinking age. I'm actually not having a beer during the show today uh, because I have to uh, slow play this Thursday. Okay. And here's why. As much as I'm going to enjoy watching the Leafs and the Habs and checking in on some of the stuff happening around the rest of the NHL, NBA was a lot of fun on Wednesday night with Steph Curry and LeBron James going at it. But I, I'm <laughs> working on a Russ Jackson piece that is on deadline, needs to be completed. I've been chipping away at it for a while. I've watched all four of the great cups and I dive deep into the numbers and the history and all these things. And at the same time, I have to do the Sada City Happy Hour tasting with Sam Corbet, their brewmaster today and the fourth and final of the four Lager Series beers, which is Soft Body Pills, which I haven't had yet, so I'm excited to try that. And tonight, there's a Sada City Brewing uh, virtual tasting going on where it is Sam Corbet. Uh, it is the president of Sada City Brewing, and it's the host of the Ontario, uh, or maybe the Toronto Beer Podcast, I believe is who it is. So uh, they're going to be leading you through a tasting of all four of the lagers that are in the Lager Series. And Kyle, this, these like... I've enjoyed these beers more than I thought I could for things I'd never really understood before. Cause they're all so different. So I'm not having one right now because I got to have a beer with Sam later. And then I got to, <laughs> and then I got to split four beers with Marlene later when we do this virtual tasting where we're going to sit on the back deck with the computer and hang out and taste the beers and listen to what they have to say about it all. So uh, not having one right now, but looking forward to uh, being a part of all of that coming up uh, when we are going to wrap up the show today. I'll let you know uh, what else we have coming up for you heading into the weekend and into next week as well. Some uh, exciting stuff just around the corner, some new additions as well to our editorial staff, some more written work coming to you as we get closer to the CFL season and the U sports season as well here on CFP. But for now, uh, I want to dive into the Dave Naylor and Farhan Lalji clip that came out this week from TSN uh, talking about betting because Kyle, you love your, your gambling, your wagering, your understanding of that stuff is far superior to mine. And they had some things to say about the direction that the CFL is headed, uh, what they anticipate happening here going forward, and also looking at if an XFL merger does happen, what does that look like? If it doesn't happen, what does that look like? Because those might be two completely different answers. So here's the clip. For Ian Farhan, we know the CFL is in talks with the owners of the XFL about a collaboration that could lead to a new league, a new game, a new business model, all kinds of changes possibly coming to Canadian football. But we also know it's possible the league could go into the future with the existing nine teams. And we want to look a little bit about what that would look like, particularly on the revenue side. Coming out of the pandemic, as the CFL looks to return to play, what does the revenue side of the future look like for the Canadian Football League? 
Well, I think the league is counting on single-game sports betting as the single biggest pot of gold at the end of the rainbow if there is no collaboration with the XFL, or for that matter, even if there is. I think that is huge as far as the business model is concerned. And you and I have talked to a number of experts in the sports gaming industry in the last couple of days, and there really is a wide discrepancy as to what that could do for the league financially. A number of the experts have said, look, there's simply no way to gauge exactly how much it's going to be worth. Others have said this is going to be the second biggest revenue generator behind the television deal some estimates have been around two million dollars per team 20 million for the league so it's going to be interesting to see how that eventually manifests itself because of course teams don't get money off a percentage of the actual bets it's what is your relationship going to be with particular sports books with different platforms apps things of that nature sponsorship arrangements those are the types of things that could bring in potential revenue to the league. As far as Bill C-218 is concerned, it's at a really critical stage right now. It passed overwhelmingly with the House of Commons. It's now sitting at the Senate. And there is a bit of worry that Prime Minister Trudeau could call a quick election. And if this isn't passed through and becomes royal assent prior to that happening, it goes all the way back to the beginning. And this could take another couple of years. So there is some urgency to get this done quickly. Yeah, and the CFL, if we do get to legal single-game sports wagering in Canada, which I think is going to happen eventually, the CFL is positioned in some ways very well. For one, uh, the sport the CFL plays is football. And we know that in North America, football is the favorite sport of sports bettors. And we know that the CFL season, you know, you get 10, 11 weeks in before the National Football League or the NCAA football starts. So there's a period of exclusivity there where if people want to bet on football legally, the CFL is going to be the object. And I think they think that besides whatever revenues this brings, there could be a bounce to the business from more fan engagement, television revenues. People will watch a game that they've placed a wager on. And also, perhaps uh, digging into that age-old problem, the CFL, of trying to get to a younger demographic of fan. Having sports wagering, I think, is a way that they believe that will aid in that process. So both in the short term and the long, there are some potential benefits here for the CFL. Now, as far as revenue is concerned, one of the other benefits that came out of the pandemic was the fact that it forced a number of teams to change their approach to sponsor engagement. For now, prior to the pandemic, it really was all about game day. Everybody's sponsorship and business and interaction, it all came down to how much money you could get back through ticket sales and other activations on game day. But what wound up happening during the pandemic is there were a number of other contests and social media initiatives and things like that that happened. And now a whole new stream of inventory has been created. Certainly that varies based from market to market, but for a number of teams, they've been able to keep their sponsors involved in other initiatives that didn't involve game day. So now you've got that inventory, and when we get games played again, you'll get the game day inventory back. So there is a possibility of an uptick in revenue by creating a 365-day-a-year business model as opposed to just basing it on 10 games a year. Looking for new sources of revenue has been an age-old challenge in the Canadian Football League, and that is certainly going to be the focus as the league looks forward to return to play in 2021 and, uh, and beyond. Uh, all right, so that is the clip from Farhan Lalji and Dave Naylor right there. The, uh, the, I never thought I'd hear Royal Ascent used <laughs> in a clip, but uh, Farhan dropping some House of Commons knowledge there, some uh, Canadian. I felt like I was back in poli-sci 1G03 or something like that at, at McMaster University, but uh, yeah, the idea of this being a major player, we all understand the financial benefits of getting sports wagering involved with you. The idea at the end there of having a an expedited process of getting more revenue by having a more year-round 
business approach that has been aided by social media and different activations that are not just on game day that Farhan was talking about. I find that really interesting because I don't, I don't know if that is sustainable and that's something that's been created and is here to stay because we've discovered this or if that was just a replacement because it's the second best thing that we could get compared to having a game day experience with the things people actually want to pay for and things actually sponsors want to partner up with. So like when we get back to normalcy, whenever that is, however that is, whatever that looks like, I don't know whether or not we end up keeping all of the social media. Like, I don't know if, for example, you know, the EE exclusives that Edmonton's been doing right now with Morley Scott and Jamie Elizondo. Those are great. I'm sure there's some money that's being passed hands there, or that might just be some makeup money from the fact that you guys have paid us a bunch of money and we can't deliver you the game day experience and the game day branding and Commonwealth field at the brick Commonwealth stadium, brick field and all the rest, or that might've just been something that's is here to stay. And maybe you tag that onto a sponsorship moving forward. I, I really don't know what those business dealings are going to look like, but that is a question I would have. Okay. So a couple of things on this one, I just want to caution CFL fans that think single game wagering is going to change the bottom line for the CFL. It's Why not. is that? If, if they were in financial trouble before they're going to be in financial trouble after here's the thing. They talk about younger demographics and, you know, gearing, marketing and advertising towards a younger demographic. And this is a goes a long way into doing that. I don't know if that's the case. All the younger people I know in my age group, maybe a little bit younger than me. I can't talk about like the 21, 22 year olds. Mm -hmm. Wagering isn't really their thing. Right. And again, that could just be the people that I know, but from what I get, it's not the thing for the younger generations. Fantasy football is. I think a partnership with DraftKings, where every single week you're doing CFL contests, I think that goes a longer way into gearing towards that younger demographic. Yeah. And then the way the CFL can profit off of single game wagering, because here's the thing, and I've told you this many of times on, uh, on TSN, the amount of dollars that they bring in and I'm talking about books and sports books, the amount of money that they bring in is a lot, right? I'm talking about the money on a single game, like a single NFL game, they're bringing in a lot of money. But the profit margins that they work in so they can give a kickback to the CFL, and I, to be honest, I've never understood that. Why would the book need the CFL? Why would they need to pay the CFL to put their games on? their Lic website they licensing don't. agreements i guess but, uh, but for what I, like what yeah. are you getting a licensing agreement for you can well, get yeah. a billboard at the uh you know on the field my biggest thing and i think this is the way they need to go about it where you look at it from the premier league standpoint right mm -hmm. where at tim horton's field you're gonna have betting kiosks whether it's 20 or 30 around the stadium and fans can have the ability to bet there and maybe even cash out there. Then you're talking about, okay, now we can start getting some serious money because whatever sports book's going to operate, that kiosk would definitely need to pay the CFL to put that kiosk in right. the building. But again, for the sports books, and I know in England, some sports books have been very hesitant on doing this. When you put a betting kiosk in the building, What's the percentage of people that are going to bet on the opposition? Not a lot, right? <laughs> yeah. 
So every single Ticats game, if the Ticats hammer the Toronto Argonauts, <laughs> and maybe the Argos are a bad example because the team's just down the road and you'll have some Argos fans uh, there. And there are some Argos fans in Hamilton. Um, let's say the Calgary Stampeders, right? They are going to get taken to the woodshed if that betting kiosk they're relying on to make a profit, right? So, so the Ticats come out and hammer the Stampeders. Then everybody, the you know 2,000 people that just bet on Hamilton Tiger Cats down at the kiosk, they're laughing to the bank and the sports book's going to have to pay that out. Now, the only reason why I think it's different than the Premier League is if that same betting company that owns that kiosk also has a, an online platform where you can bet, they're going to get money from the other side, right? Yeah. They're going to get, oh, all the people from Calgary betting on the other side. In the CFL, can you grow this to enough of a scale where you're going to offset that massive loss for a sports book, right? Like the, all the Ticats fans that are betting on the, the Ticats against the Stampeders, can you get enough Stampeders money to make it worth it? Or are they just going to get taken to the woodshed down at Tim Hortons field? So here's, here's my follow-up on, on all of this stuff, because again, I'm super And it changes not... if the Ticats lose, then right. obviously the sports book's going to make a lot of money. Well, that's my thinking is like, that's how gambling works is that, you know, yes. you can, you can hammer the Ticats and all the fans that bet on it are laughing all the way to the bank, unless they're not. And if they're not, then it's, you know, you play that split where uh, you end up having uh, basically all the 2000 fans go home pissed off because maybe they lost a little bit of money. Uh, I just imagine as well, like, is there a point at which the line actually moves? Because you talk about the Ticats hammering the stamps, Yep. which by the way, we haven't seen that in a very long time. So it's funny that you picked that example, but, uh, <laughs> but if you were to have that and people were hammering the over, let's say, yep. like if, if you were hammering the over, would the, would the spread actually move with that in game? And it, like, would you be getting different point spread values yep. in game because there's a different amount of people betting in game? Because you mentioned 2000 people is just like a, you know, throwaway number. Yep. I genuinely wonder the interest in, in all of the studies and stuff that I've seen on sports wagering. If you get 26,000 people at Tim Hortons field, how many people uh, would be placing a bet? Because I think at the start, it might be a couple hundred to a thousand. But once it became socially acceptable, once it yeah. became standardized, once the 7, guy, 000, yeah, 8, once, once the guy next to you is going, it's like, <laughs> what's to say you don't end up? There's, there's probably at Ty Cats game, and again, we're just using Hamilton because it's the place that we know and we yeah. see the demographics and the stands and all the rest. Twenty six thousand people in the stands. There's at least ten thousand males of eight, eighteen years or older in the stands. How many of those ten thousand? And it's not just in the fact that men are more likely to bet than women are, which is statistically correct as well. Yeah, but how many of those 10,000 men of 18 plus demographics, 18 to 54, 18 to 49, whatever you want, how many of them do you think would go once it would be standardized? Cause that's intriguing to me to see the growth potential. Cause I think at the start, we're all expecting like, Oh, you know, bill C218, which I called it bill C128 earlier. I've messed up my number, <laughs> uh, but thank you for haunted Dave. Uh, but if that ends up passing, and at the beginning, we're all like, hey, the league is fixed, millions of dollars flowing in, it's going to be crazy. I don't think it's going to be like that at the start. Because I think at the start, when you really put it into human terms of a betting kiosk inside the stadium, how many people are going to go and use that directly? It's foreign to them. It's different. It's weird. Yeah. It's, it's, you're not going to be uh, accepting of it in your game day experience at first. But that's where the growth, I think, comes from. Well, and I think, you know, I've told you this many times. 
the people that are wagering, the new people to sports wagering in Canada, if this bill becomes a thing, I don't know what those numbers are going to look like. The people that have already been betting, because guess what? There are millions of dollars bet on the CFL every single year yep. online, right? That's why the Canadian government wants to get in on this. That's why Kevin right? Waugh is going after organized crime in a way that makes me worry for Kevin <laughs> yes. Waugh, because I don't want him to get whacked, okay? Yeah, because those sleazebags at Bet365, <laughs> uh, that they're, uh, they're coming for you, <laughs> right? The Canadian <laughs> government's coming for you. So, like, this isn't a thing for, like, bettors. They're like, okay. The, the biggest thing for betting in Canada is the casino, mm. right? Because if I can, if a casino puts the infrastructure in place where I can lay a bet down, I can watch the game on TV and I can get paid out before I walk out the door. That's a game changer, right? Now I don't have to, you know, go on bet three, six, five, and I'm just using them as an example. Um, you know, go on their website, lay a bet down, win 1200 bucks and all of a sudden i'm waiting five to seven days for a money order because that sucks and i've been through that process it mm. sucks waiting right because your money's tied up and you can't bet it on other things that you want to bet well on. that's so, the sketchy thing about the gambling world too is why is your money tied up because it's being used for other purposes for bet 365 exactly <laughs> yeah. um but that's how the sports books operate so they can you know make a certain profit and you know bet 365 or sports interaction that's a canadian company um It'll be interesting to see how they adjust um, based on how this law gets passed down and what the details are. Because we're trying to pass down a law, but we have no idea what the details are. And the details are what matter to gamblers. Because yeah. if the details, for example, right, when marijuana got legalized in Canada, there are a lot of people that were already, you know, users of marijuana were getting their marijuana other places, right? Yep. When they legalized it, if the Canadian government said you're going to pay a 35% tax on the marijuana, people are going to be like, huh? Screw that. I'm <laughs> not already... buying it through like the legal channel. I'm yeah. going to buy it the way I've been buying it. I don't want to pay 35% tax. Canadian government's got to be very careful for that because the sports books, like I say, you know, the money they bring in is a lot, but those profit margins, they get squeezed so much. They make money off the juice, right? And what I mean by that, Ticats minus two and a half, minus one ten. You have to lay ten cents to the dollar to make money, right? Well, that ten cents, guess where it's going to go? The sports book. Yeah. And people betting plus two and a half on the other side, that money, that ten cents, is going to the sports book. That houses. That's how the sports book makes money. And then the differential or uh, the difference in the amount of money that they're bringing in based on either side. Sometimes they lose money on a game. Sometimes they make a lot of money on a game based on where the public money is coming in from. Um, but again, the details are what's going to make this work yeah. for everybody involved, the sports book, the betters, and the CFL if they try to profit off of this stuff. Want to take a second to recognize our new partners, Area 51 Sports Apparel. They have hooked us up with some beautiful hoodies and hats and polos for the summer. They're the newest player in the Canadian team sports uniform and equipment industry. Locally and minority-owned, Area 51 Sports' goal is to provide high-quality uniforms, apparel, and equipment at affordable prices. Area 51 Sports offers uniforms and equipment for all sports at remarkable prices. Check them out on Instagram at Area51, that's the numbers 51, at Area51Sport, or reach out to them via email at Area51SportsApparel at gmail.com. Yeah, what I'm interested in is that split that you talk about, because when there's this amount of money that's available that has not been available before, like this is 
imagine you are, uh, you know, you're working at a, <laughs> I don't want to be like, you know, the office where Oscar's explaining finances for grade fours to Michael. He's like, explain it to me like I'm a grade three. Uh, but if you are working at a lemonade stand and there's only 10 cars that go past and seven of them want to buy your lemonade for a buck of pops, like, yeah, you're making seven bucks. Okay. Now imagine you move your lemonade stand to a place where there's 500 cars that go past each day. All of this new money is available. How are you going to split that? How are you going to divide that? And the government is not doing this out of the kindness of their heart to save the CFL. They don't give a damn. Like as no. much as some of the MPs might that have presented this bill and they say it might be able to, to save the CFL's financial situation. If the CFL wanted to do a handout and they wanted to be the caregivers and the caretakers and the rest of the CFL, they would have just given the interest-free loan or they would have done the deal where they get a piece of something and, uh, and they end up being able to get a little chunk back uh, at the end of the season or maybe it's in, you know, a loan that has interest on it, but they paid up front or whatever it might be. Like, there's a lot of ways to do that. They didn't do any of that. So they're not interested in just helping. They're interested in creating a revenue stream that, yeah, sure, CFL, you are the thing that generates the millions and millions yep. of dollars, but you generate it and we get a piece. And that's why we want to be able to do this. And on top of that, of course, the sports books, like you say, the daily fantasy stuff is intriguing to me, especially because DraftKings is getting involved in the media sponsorship game now where they're sponsoring Bo Levi Mitchell's new podcast with Uninterrupted Canada. They're also they're the presenting sponsor of Dan Lebetard's podcast, $50 million over a three and a half or four year agreement, I believe it is. So yep. they're throwing money around in media, which makes me think, you know, CFL broadcasts might not be brought to you by Shaw anymore. Like it might be welcome to the uh, 108th Grey Cup presented by DraftKings. And that's totally legitimate. That's, that's going to happen, I think, moving forward here. More on-field sponsorship, more A-frames, more in-stadium branding. That's all going to happen. But the thing that I laugh at, Kyle, is like, <laughs> because I think, in my mind, because I've never been a, a gambler, sports wagering person, that I have always deemed it to kind of be like this sort of dangerous thing on the fringes as you talk about, because people are doing it. We know they're doing it, but yep. it's not, it's not legalized and it's not standardized. It's not socially accepted inside the, the stadium. I remember maybe my image of this comes from being at a bills game where I sat next to a guy that I've never met before uh, who I'm very sure had done the booger sugar, the uh, Colombian bam, bam before, <laughs> before he came into the game and he was wearing a ski jacket and he was there on his phone the entire game against the Pittsburgh Steelers back in like 2017 on his phone calling people left right and center placing wages on the NFL from inside the stadium as he was sitting That's in an the, old school bookie. I, yeah, <laughs> as he was sitting in the stands next to me and I'm just sitting there with a like a, a cold beer in my hand and negative 20 with one of my friends watching the game and I'm going man that seems like a lot of work like I'm just here to to watch the football because I love yeah. watching the football so I've always viewed it as kind of this fringe thing but you know how when you're at, I don't know if they do this at Ticats games because I'm always working, but at NFL games after halftime, the end of halftime or the start of the fourth quarter, no more alcohol sales. Boom, done. Cut off, no more. Uh, is that the potential? I think it's of, the third quarter. I think it's five is minutes it? left in the third. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So <laughs> by that point, I don't need any more beer, So, uh, <laughs> which just never affected me. But I, I look at this as just being funny, like the visual of, and you know this from being at Ticats games, being in the stands, you know, hammered guy walking through the concourse wants to place a bet. Do they shut that down the same way they do beer in Buffalo for Bills games where it's like, well, you can't bet on, on the final result after halftime or whatever that might be? Because I'm just imagining a guy in like a Stala 88 jersey walking up to a betting kiosk like it's a vending machine yeah. hammered out of his tree and just shaking the, come on, 
give me, no, I want a bet. And that's going to be one of those things where we're going to be like, wow, this evolved quickly. I did not see this incarnation of the CFL coming where people are like, I need the juice. Let me squeeze the juice. And just screaming at machines in the concourse as parents are walking past with their kids on their way to, you know, Stripes, Thai Cats, Jungle Gym and being like, don't look, honey. It's just a man betting on sports. Yeah. So I never even thought of that, right? That drunk people putting bets in. And if oh my God. That, that's enough, gonna be that's gonna be fifty percent of the bets. A guy's gonna I know. have a beer it's like know your quarter. limit, play within it. Yeah, he's gonna see <laughs> Jeremiah Masoli throw three touchdowns in the first quarter. Of it. I'll be I'll be right back, honey. I gotta go to the bathroom. He's yeah. gonna run to the concourse, lay down their entire child's education savings plan, and then come back in the third quarter and realize, ooh, I've made a terrible mistake. Yeah, there's probably gonna be a limit on how much you can bet at the kiosk. I would hope so. I don't know what that limit's gonna be. It's probably gonna be like a thousand dollars. But even a thousand dollars, right? Especially in today's world, a guy makes a drunk bet for a thousand dollars. His <laughs> wife is yelling at him for the next three months. If I do that uh, for a hundred bucks, Marlene's looking at me and going, "Are you serious? Do yeah. You, do you know how much a hundred dollars is in terms of tangible baby products that we actually need to have going forward?" So yeah, it's. I don't know what they do with the limit. I don't know what they do with the cutoff. But those are again the details. Well, those are the yeah. things that we're looking at and going, okay, how is this actually going to tangibly look if it's in stadiums? And how soon can it be applied to being inside of stadiums? Because we're talking about 2021. Do you think that we're ready to set up <laughs> wagering in stadiums anytime in 2021? Because I don't. Yeah. Um, I even think it'd be, you know, more suited towards a phone app type of situation where the CFL has a betting app on their phone sponsored by, like you said, DraftKings Sportsbook and again they would try to be legal in Canada um or you know Bet365 or another sports book I think they'd be better suited that way because you don't want the massive line right and people are going to get really mad if you know five minutes before the game uh kicks off and you have to get your bet in for the actual game um they can't because you know, there's two guys that have no idea how to work the betting machine. And all of a sudden they miss their bet. And then they're like, you know what? Screw this. And then next time they're like, I'm just going to bet online. Like forget these kiosk situations. So I think they'd be better suited to go towards a phone app um, kind of method. I think the other thing that I'm looking at this from is if you're a CFL team, how do you push people towards the kiosk? Cause that's a fine line to walk too. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so CFL marketing departments are going to have to really kind of change their tune and wherever, whatever line was set between betting and Hey, fair play stuff. You're going to have to kind of move that line a little bit yeah. to get people towards those kiosks. So that'll be uh, interesting to see. It, and what it actually feels like to me, just based off of like some very limited reading on the topic, but is prohibition. It feels like pro. It feels like we're about to lift prohibition, <laughs> and we're about to do it in the most public way possible. Because you use marijuana as an example earlier, which is a great example of something that's been legalized lately. But we are going from something that has been smuggled underground amongst uh, small groups of people that are sharing secrets on how to do this properly or talk to a guy. But it's or, not underground. But, no, no. But what I'm saying is it's underground to people like me. Yeah. Like I, like I don't have any, if you were to tell me right now, Hey, do you want to uh, bet on the Leafs in the Habs game tonight? I'd be like, I, I don't know how I know the brands. I know the names of the websites I should probably go to. I'm sure they make it very easy for me to go there and to be able to do it online. But if I were sitting in the stands and somebody tapped me on the shoulder and said, Hey, uh, I'm going to go make a bet. Do you want to come? 
I'd be like, I, I don't know the first thing. And uh, full transparency on this as well. And know what that reminds me of? I went with a bunch of my McMaster football buddies to a strip club, my first strip club ever one time. <laughs> and as we're going in, they're like, hey, uh, are you, like, you ready to go in? Do you want to go and hang out and dance? And I'm like, I have no idea how this works. I've never, <laughs> I've never been. I, like, I felt so out of, I'm such a boring person at heart that I, some of these foreign things to me, I, they just don't work with how my mind works where I'm like, you want me to go where and do what and talk to who? And it, like the, all of these things are just so strange that for me, it feels underground, even though it's not, like you say, it's very pervasive throughout society. And as Dave Naylor said to start off the segment here, the number of people that are betting on football absolutely has to be accessed by uh, the the CFL. And that's, that's yeah. the goal is to mm-hmm. generate that revenue based off the interest that's already there. And they also mentioned in a different clip on TSN.ca, moving up the season to get away from the NFL because moving your football earlier than the NFL by a month might be worth millions of dollars. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing that I want to point out as well, right? This gentleman, I think in Saskatchewan, that's pushing this, uh, this bill kind of through, um, you know, to the Senate and whatever the case may be. Um, they're doing this for their own pockets, for mm-hmm. the government's pockets to, you know, get more revenue so the government can use, which I'm a big proponent of. Um, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of the government creating ways to make money and not just taking it from us, <laughs> right? In a way, I mean, they are taking it from us, but I think it's important to state they're not doing this for the CFL because the amount of money generated in Canada on sports wagering, single game sports wagering, is not going to come from the CFL. It's going to come from the NFL. I hate to tell you, Canadians bet on the NFL way more than they bet on the CFL, and it's going to stay that way forever, right? That's just the way it is. Um, so that's why I'm saying, and I started this whole conversation out with, I want to caution people that think single game sports wagering is going to save the CFL because it's not. It just, it's simply not. So um, it'll be very telling to see how the next couple of months go and whether or not we can get this going for the new CFL season. Because when the CFL comes back, in whatever capacity it's going to come back, I think they're going to need something different to draw people in. And maybe this is the way to do it. Now, do I expect the government to have everything finalized in whatever, 90 days? Hell no. The government takes forever to put stuff through. We've seen uh, that in Hamilton, right? Jim Taddy used to tell us all the time, right? That Red Hill Valley Parkway, what'd that take? 35 years to build? <laughs> yeah, he said he was at the Hamilton Library doing some research, and he stumbled upon a piece of paper where they're like, hey, this Red Hill, this might be a good idea. The LRT is another thing right now in Hamilton where it's like, I feel like they've been talking about it since I came to Hamilton for McMaster University education in 2010. Uh, but at the same time, like Richardson Stadium just got built in Kingston for Queens University. They just finalized it. They're putting a new pavilion in, all this stuff. And I remember talking to uh, Glenn McKay, who was a receiver for the Ticats way back when that was out of Windsor. And when I was at McMaster, he was a Ticat and he needed me to throw to him once in a while. And so we would chuck the ball around. And one day we were sitting down during a break, having some water. And, uh, he goes, why didn't you go to Queens? I'm like, I don't know. Just the vibe didn't really fit with me. I didn't really want to go there. It didn't, I didn't like it. And he goes, they still showing you guys those drawings of the new Richardson stadium. <laughs> and I went, yep. I go, um, Glenn, you played in the East West bowl in like 2003 or 2004, <laughs> which means when you were coming out of high school, 
you got recruited by Queens in like 1998 <laughs> or 1999. And he's like, yeah. And they showed me a drawing of the new Richardson Stadium. Well, congratulations, Queens. It's up. It's beautiful. It looks amazing. I'm excited to go watch a game there. I haven't been as of yet. But uh, sometimes these things take a long time. And sometimes they're promised way before they can actually be delivered on. And I think there's there's a a goal to push this stuff through quickly. And for a lot of people involved, it's for all the right reasons. You want there to be more money yeah. for the CFL. You want it to sustain, you want to save it, whatever your reasoning is, your motives. But yeah, this, sometimes this stuff takes longer than we expect. So I don't, I'm not banking on this stuff being readily available ASAP. That's hilarious that they're trying to recruit players with <laughs> uh, stadium drawings. Number one, is this going to be done by the time I graduate? Because if not, the hell do I care? Well, that's right? like even at McMaster right now, they're putting this huge addition on the pulse. And I'm like, I hope they're not selling that to students as, hey, you're going to have uh, this great expanded workout space and mental health studio and all the rest. No. I'm like, Because I, I, that's not going to be done by the time that the people who are in second or third year are everything. I mean, as far as I know, it's not going to yeah. be done uh, in the very, very near future. So, yeah, th- promising things. I think this is a general rule for life, right, is when somebody promises you something that sounds grandiose maybe check the timeline because yeah. <laughs> I think that's where we are right now. Yeah. And one thing I do know about the younger generation today, in part, they're very selfish, right? How does this affect? Wow. I, what, what generation are we talking? I mean, post millennials, what's the, uh, what's the generation that we're labeling here? generation Z X Y. <laughs> I have no idea whatever letter of the alphabet it is. Um, but in part, they're always looking at from the standpoint of how does this affect my life? And if you're going to football recruits and saying, oh, look at this stadium, like I said, is it going to be done by the time I graduate? And if it's not going to be done by the time I graduate, am I going to have to deal with construction for two years? Because guess (laughs) what? I don't want to take, we know this at uh, McMaster, um, when they were doing that building next to uh, the stadium, it affected all of us. It affected our parking. It affected the distances that we had to walk around the uh, fenced off uh, oh, yeah. parts of McMaster University. It's like, this affects people. They're like on Lock Street, they're like, oh, we're going to do this great uh, construction of Lock Street. We're going to fix it. We're going to widen the sidewalk so it's more pedestrian friendly. Guess what? All the businesses down on Lock Street had to deal with that crap for two years. It affected their bottom line so much because you couldn't park anywhere near law. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was bad, man. I, uh, I, it's funny too because hearing you say, you know, the construction at McMaster and us having to move around all this stuff. I don't know if you've been feeling it lately, Kyle, but I work early mornings right now with a part-time gig that I have, and uh, I, I have this huge void in my heart right now of early mornings at Ticats training camp. Have you felt that at all? Because yeah, I, I felt I, that last year too. Yeah, but I have seriously felt it this year where it's like I see the sun coming up and I'm like, that's when we used to leave the breakfast hall and go over and and watch practice and report on it and tweet out things for people uh, to follow. And I'm like, we aren't doing that right now and we probably won't be doing that for another month and a half. Best case scenario, I'm like, man, it is crazy to think 2021 we're still on the spot here where we're not at Ticats training camp on time. Yeah, June and July roll around. And I'm not at Ticats practice every single day. I'm going to realize this, especially when I look down at my legs and I'm like, man, I need to work on my tan. Because <laughs> that's how I used to work on my tan was uh, Ticats practice. Used to get a lot of sun. 
And then yeah. I would come home. My girlfriend's like, why are you so dark? I'm like, I've been sitting at Ticats practice for two and a half hours. That's why. Uh, to wrap this segment up full circle with the fact that I'm boring, I don't know anything about sports wagering. Uh, you mentioned that the young kids are selfish. And I heard a term this week <laughs> that I realized very quickly applies to me. I never thought this would apply to me. But being a dad uh, at this point, I've, I, I almost got into a fight with a, a dump truck driver this week on my street. Because oh. I, went, I went full Karen mode. <laughs> and uh, there's construction happening down the street for me. They're putting up all these subdivisions and all the rest. And the dump truck drivers on a, a pedestrian, you know, little street that's a two-way where there's cars parked on the side of the road. They've been buzzing up and down the road with full loads of dirt that they're hauling out of here to wherever the hell they take that stuff. And they go way too fast. And we were walking the dogs with our son in his stroller one day around the block. And we come back and one just buzzes past. And I looked at Marlene and just shook my head. I'm like, I don't know what the hell they're doing. And then the next guy I see coming down the street, I could hear him because of how hard he was accelerating on our street. That's like a 40 or a 50. And he's flying down the street. I hear him before I see him. I sprint to the end of my driveway and flag him down. And he stops and like pokes his head out the window like, yeah. And I just mother effer effing oh oh yeah i lost my mind i lost my marbles on this dude and i'm like listen you guys need to realize this entire neighborhood is fed up with your bs we're not effing having it you can effing slow down or we'll just call the cops we'll get them put out here you guys can enjoy your speed and the guy was like his face was just blown off by the intensity of what i because i was genuinely pissed because i'm like i saw a dump truck pass another dump truck on a street that's designed for kids to ride their bikes f off right so yeah. i'm like i'm tired of that so i lost my mind on him and at first he was just like shook by it and then he got all angry defensive came back at me and he's like well you know you could have just been nice about it and i turn around I'm like i'm done being nice we're done being <laughs> nice get the f out of here and he just like drove off shaking his head but five minutes later every dump truck was going 20 kilometers an hour slower <laughs> on the street. I'm serious. It was like, they Sometimes must have re- takes that. Exactly. So the point of telling that story is I'm an old person. Okay. And <laughs> I learned a term this week that I never heard before. Never thought would apply to me. How, do you know what a geriatric millennial is, Kyle? Ooh, I know what the geriatric word is. <laughs> so uh, there's a, uh, I heard this term this week and I was like, that's me. Uh, people born between 1980 and 1985. Now I was born in 91, so I'm six years later than this, but 80 to 85 have a new term to describe them. And this article from uh, cnet.com says, and it's not flattering. I actually am flattered by this. It says in a world where everyone is clumsily placed inside a generational bucket and made fun of an endless memes. Those of us born in the early 1980s were always out of the loop. We didn't quite fit. Are we old millennials, young generation X? Are we exennials? No one really knew what to call us now that we're middle-aged and useless until now. Now those born in the generational black hole between 1980 and 85 have a new name. We are the geriatric millennials. I thought that was just the grunge generation. I thought from like the Pacific Northwest and everything happened there in music. But anyways, uh, he's congratulations. The story says the geriatric millennial term was popularized in a viral medium piece titled Why the Hybrid Workforce of the Future Depends on the Geriatric Millennial. Uh, <laughs> and this is basically... People that are not old enough to be geriatrics, they're not young enough to be millennials, but they just act like old people despite the fact that they're still relatively young. I was like, boom, that's me. Hello. Yes. All over this, this whole thing, like angry, <laughs> yelling at people in the neighborhood, not knowing about sports gambling, uh, all that stuff. I was like, I, I can identify with every single piece of that. 
yeah and every stereotype that people like to put on you know um individuals born around my timeline um i don't live in those stereotypes by birth year only i'm like i'm very different from the people my age and they have a lot of interest in stuff that i couldn't care uh, less about and i have interest in stuff that they you know couldn't care less about um so it's again it comes to you know the individual one i think a way you could stop the dump trucks from flying down your street throw the dog poop yeah <laughs> that <laughs> and get in contact with uh, your local city councilor oh put... she's useless yeah yeah, yeah. I, I've most of them are <laughs> most of them are um you, i moved to binbrook in 2007 when i was still in high school they promised us city buses by 2008 by the time i was in grade 12 it's 2021 i still don't think they have buses it's 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 bad the city council members uh they have other things to do apparently um but they could put temporary speed bumps in your area i think that might slow down the dump trucks because cars can fly over those speed bumps dump trucks can't that's true yeah apparently they bounce over those things i'm sure they would try if they could but uh, yeah, that's. Uh, I know people that work at the airport in Hamilton who uh, they I, they have to take the bus out as close as possible and then walk because oh. because the buses don't run to the airport in Hamilton. I'm like, what are we what are we doing? Uh, it's anyway. like going to Orchard Park for a Bills game. It's oh, like this yeah. is where the bus can drop you off and you have to walk. <laughs> Wait, that's like a thirty yeah, you minute guys are walk. Crushing yeah. it in the hammer. Yeah, that's not ideal either. Uh, I don't <laughs> believe in that. When we come back on the other side for you here, uh, we are going to hit the Friday house party. you got a bunch of fun clips for you here to send you into your weekend. Monaco Grand Prix weekend, by the way, Kyle. Very exciting. Uh, Formula One goes back to Monte Carlo coming up this weekend. And the Ferraris, Leclerc, Carlos Sainz, 1-2 in practice. I am pumped up. We'll be right back. Best sound clips of the week right here on Marsh and Mellow. Ready to hit the links, but the course isn't ready for you yet? Marshall Ferguson here for Force to Joni. I've got the solution for you. Get your golf game in shape before the season begins by booking the Force to Joni Trackman Golf Simulators. They are world-class. They've got new daily drink deals and a spring-summer menu coming just in time for patio season just around the corner. They're located at 1070 Stone Church Road East here in Hamilton. For information, info at forcedajoni.ca. They are open for takeout daily. Give them a call, 905-381-9850. And, of course, you can follow along on Instagram at 4, that's F-O-R-E, that's Dijoni, S-D-A-G-I-O-N-E. For those tough wake-ups. I want to give you a chance, Pete, to call a couple of places. Let's see what you do here, buddy. Yeah. Okay, ball's on the right hash. We got the boys looking deep downfield. It's second and ten. It's Martian Mellow. But I got a feeling that we're going to go try to pick up a chunk right here. They're going to be defending low, and we're going to find a way. Quarterback scrambling. Gets the ball loose. Hi. <laughs> Welcome to the party. Let's get weird. Let's, shall we? You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. You can't stay here. Actually, we'd prefer if you stayed here with us for the next little while. As we do the (laughs) Friday house party, the best sound clips of the week for you. Uh, I'm going to kick it off with a little throwback to something that we did a couple of weeks ago. Might have even been like close to a month ago. Remember that Portland State head coach, Kyle, that did the, here's the thing about my car, okay? <laughs> yeah. It has no AC and it has no heat. Why? So I can test my mental toughness in the summer when it's hot and I can test my mental toughness in the winter 
when it's cold. It was just the most useless thing ever. It's like, congratulations, <laughs> man. Really proud of you. Yeah, you and your Chevy Tahoe really saving the world one day at a time. You're the toughest man on the planet. Uh, I found more audio from that press conference uh, that I wanted to bring to you here. Okay, so here is, uh, I don't even know his name, doesn't matter. Portland State head coach just got hired on. Uh, again, I would transfer immediately if I was anybody from that school that played this school. I steal a quote from Bruce Arians, one of my favorite coaches to, to uh, see and, and hear talk. Coach him hard and hug him later. I'm going to coach you guys. I'm going to push you. But we'll have a great relationship after that. I want to be the type of coach that players want to play for. I want to be the type of coach that fans want to cheer for. I want to be the type of coach where players will run through a wall for you because they know at the end of the day, I'm going to run through a wall for them. And that's how it is. I want the city of Portland. I want everybody here to come and compete with us. That's the atmosphere I want. I want you to show up and have fun. Heck, drink a beer, whatever. Have Whoa. fun. We'll come out here and compete. We'll get it done together. This isn't about me. This isn't about just one individual player. This is about a community coming together and competing as one. So at the end of a season, I want to look at people's eyes and see if they're crying. Because when we win the championship, I want to see people are so happy that they're crying. And if we don't win the championship, oh. I want to see you cry to know that this team gave every possible ounce of everything wow. that they had, wow. and they tried to earn it. And you're so disappointed for them that you cry as well. All right. So either way, he's demanding tears to be falling at the end of the season for Portland State Athletics. Uh, he wants you to care enough about that team that you're crying whether they win or whether they lose. And the biggest point in that entire rant about whatever that was of emptiness, he's okay with you having a beer. Heck, go ahead. <laughs> have a. He gave you permission, Kyle. You're allowed to have a beer at a sporting event. Thank you, Portland State head coach. What a yeah. psycho. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I don't understand how people like that get the job. Like, what did they say in the interview process that oh, man. made you think, you know what, this is the guy. This is the guy. I like the way he talks. And it's like, you know, it's all emptiness. It's a bunch of nonsense. Yeah. Like, no player, especially we were talking about millennials earlier in the show. What millennial is going to be like, oh, yeah, I want to I want to smash my head for that guy. It's yeah. like, No. Yeah, I'm with you. I, it reminds me, honestly, of Man Campbell and when he talked about biting kneecaps off, right? Like, that was his yeah. whole thing. But, but he also... Uh, <laughs> he's doing a lot of media. Uh, yeah, he is doing a lot of media. He's trying to get out in front of He's on of the everybody. Pat McAfee show. Man, like, I'm not surprised. They're, they're pushing him. They're trying to go, like, 21st century hard with him at this point and get yeah. out in front of every camera, every microphone, every, be on every podcast, all the rest. So, uh, But the funny thing about him is that he was campaigning for them to have a, an actual live lion in the, in the Lions facility. He wants the Lions to have a lion next to their practice field so that every day when they go out to the field, they can see the heart of a champion. I'm like, what are we doing with these coaches? Were they, is that part of the presentation for Man Campbell when he went to Detroit? They're like, what can you bring to us? He's like, here's the first thing. I want to bite kneecaps. Okay. Second thing, I want to draft big, strong people in the draft. They're like, actually, that's a good idea. We should get big, strong people in the draft. Third thing, I want a lion next to the field. Uh, yeah, let's not 
do that. Let's not put animals in cages, uh, number one, because that's yeah. what you would have to do. It's not like you can put a lion on a leash, because guess what? If that lion gets angry enough, he might rip off that leash. I don't care if it's, you know, put next to a dump truck or tied to a dump truck. Um, <laughs> that thing would scare the hell out of me. And um, uh, it's a little bit of a safety problem for uh, for your players. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I remember when Bevo from uh, University of Texas tried to destroy with his uh, huge longhorns before the Peach Bowl or something, uh, Ugga the uh, Georgia Bulldogs mascot. You remember that before they yeah. played back a couple years ago? I was like, maybe we shouldn't have live animals next to the field because, you know, they're animals. Uh, they're yeah. not always going to behave the way you want. But I have heard a great story from Dan Levitard about covering the University of Miami in their prime, right? Like the early 2000s where they had every damn running back you can imagine on the roster. Willis McGee, Clinton Portis, Frank Gore, on and on and on. And he said... The moment that he knew the University of Miami was going into this huge matchup with LSU, it might have been like a number one versus number two nationally. It was like a season kickoff game or something like that. He said the moment he knew that Miami was just wired differently and he knew they would go ahead and and be competitive for the national championship and they were going to crush LSU is that LSU put a live tiger right outside of the University of Miami locker room. And when like in a cage, but he was just wow. sitting there. So when he came out, he was supposed to be intimidated by the tiger because they were playing in Death Valley and, and Baton Rouge and all the rest. And the idea of walking out of your locker room, seeing the tiger, and then entering the stadium where you're playing the tigers with all that purple and gold around was supposed to be super intimidating. Here's the problem. University of Miami dudes just wired differently. They come out of the locker room. They started shaking the cage of the tiger Whoa. and that's when and apparently levitard was in the tunnel and he heard them yelling at the tiger and shaking the cage and that was when Whoa. he was like he was like wow we are about to beat lsu by 50 and i don't know what the final score was but they won handily in that game that is a gold story uh <laughs> yeah let's not put like massive animals lions and tigers in cages and oh use them as props for for sports uh i i think it's wrong every time i hear like stories about lions and tigers i just go back to that mike tyson story of mike oh, tyson yeah. having a lion on his or it was i can't remember if it was a tiger or a lion i think it was a lion um on his front lawn and a bunch of other guys like famous guys pulled up in a limo and charlie murphy rest in peace he passed away recently charlie um, murphy. Eddie Mur- yeah eddie murphy's <laughs> brother um you know the limo ha- has the sunroof yeah he just he just popped his head out when he saw the lion and he's like i ain't coming in there that's a lion <laughs> mike what are you doing and they just started like mike tyson's insane and he's like that's when i knew that guy was uh he was a train killer. <laughs> uh, you know, consequently, what my son's favorite song that I play for him on ukulele is right now, Kyle? Speaking of uh, Mike Tyson and I of the Tiger? Uh, oh, that's a good guess. It oh. is uh, Stu's song. It's Ed Helms when he does the, what do tigers dream of when they take <laughs> a little tiger snooze? Do they dream of mauling zebras or Halle Berry in her cat woman suit? Uh, I sing that to him and he just dozes off to sleep because it's the easiest <laughs> four chords ever on the ukulele. It's fantastic. But That's uh, let's get into uh, speaking of uh, Mike Tyson and people that have uh, abused drugs in their past. Uh, let's get into uh, this incredible piece of audio that I found this week. Elvis Presley. That's right. The Elvis Presley. This is Fat Elvis, okay? This is late in his career uh, where he's super defensive because everybody's like, 
hey, you look like somebody who's using a lot of drugs because you're sweating all the time and you're super overweight. And there's all these reports from people behind the scenes of like whispers that, hey, uh, Elvis is not healthy. Like he's not doing real well. This is him on stage near the end of his career before he dies, uh, being really defensive about it and being very brash to attack the people who are accusing him of abusing drugs. I got sick here that one night, had 102 temperature. They wouldn't let me with warm. From three different sources I heard, I was strung out on heroin. I swear to God, hotel employees, Jack, bellboys, freaks that carry your luggage up to the room, people working around, you know, talking, maids. And I was sick. I was, you know, I was getting, had a doctor, had the flu, and I met over one day. It was like, but all across this town, I was strung out. So I told him earlier, and don't you get offended, ladies and gentlemen, I'm talking to somebody else. If I find or hear the individual that has said that about me, I'm going to break your damn neck, you son of a bitch. That is dangerous. That is damaging to myself, to my little daughter, to my father, to my friends, my doctor, to everybody in my relationship with you, my relationship with up on the stage. It is dangerous. I will pull your damn tongue out of the roots. Thank you very much. Wow. Uh, so there's wow. so much in that clip from the, him saying the freaks that carry your baggage up to the room. Unnecessary shot at the guys who carry baggage yeah. around in hotels. Uh, but for him to say, I will tongue you are, I, I will tear your tongue out by the roots. And then just the nervous applause of everybody and the fact that he ends up, th- I guess he was at Oklahoma State, but he's like, my relationship with Oklahoma State and all the beautiful, my doctor. My people, my he like he can't even think of people to to make sure that he's talking about yeah. protecting himself from the message. I was like, that is such a weird and wonderful clip. That's not the way I thought the clip was gonna go when he said, you know, they said I was high on heroin, strung out, and I was I thought he was gonna go heroin. It was cocaine. These people know nothing. Yeah. Do you not even know what you're looking at inside of my uh, my hotel room when it's all sitting there on the table? I mean, my God. But uh, yeah, tear the tongue out by the roots. That sounds like a terrible way to, to have an injury, doesn't it? Uh, 100%. I, yeah, I didn't even know that your tongue had roots. But hey, Elvis educating us on top of everything else that we got in that clip. So thank you to him for that. Uh, all right, let's move on to the next clip for you here. What do I have? As always, make sure that you're following along, by the way, at CF Perspective, as we're going to have some fun stuff coming out in the next couple of weeks. But uh, I do want to uh, filibuster here just long enough to play you the king of dad jokes. I mentioned earlier the Monaco Grand Prix is this weekend. I don't know what this is, but Sebastian Vettel sat down in his press conference, Kyle, and he gave this to the media before he began his presser. So there's this matchstick climbing the hill, and it's all sweaty because it's exhausted. Nearly at the top of the hill, there's a hedgehog walking by, and the matchstick goes, oh, if only I had known there's a bus, I would have taken the bus. There you go. Uh, welcome back to Monaco. You didn't when... laugh. He's like, oh, there you go. I know it's not the most, it's not the funniest joke in the world, but it's, it was a joke. Last time but... tell a joke. Now I tell you a joke. Uh, you don't even nothing. I'll laugh. Can I laugh afterwards? Why don't we? Why don't we? Uh, just the nervous reaction of the people hosting <laughs> the press conference. But I also, do you get the joke? No, I don't. There's, wasn't a, funny. there's a matchstick walking up the hill, and it's sweating and exhausted. He sees a hedgehog and he said, oh, if I only knew there was a bus. Yeah, I, I don't I don't get that at all. <laughs> what Sebastian that? Vettel, it's just a weird individual. And I'll tell you what, <laughs> I'm not liking the effect he's having on our boy Stroll. Oh, because yes. um, I don't know what the hell's going on at Aston Martin Racing. Um, hasn't been good. 
In Ooh. fact, they've sucked so far. <laughs> yeah, it's been bad, man. It has not been what we thought that it would be with them getting uh, the opportunity. How'd they get worse? <laughs> I don't it, Honestly, they've gone backwards in ways that I could not have predicted. But uh, next clip up here for you, Sue Bird learning that one of her teammates, Ma, did you see this this week? Uh, WNBA season, by the way, very entertaining thus far. But uh, Sue Bird, of course, the Seattle Storm, learning that uh, one of her teammates' moms is the same age as her. Today? Oh, my gosh. Guys, this is just terrible. I found out today that um, our new teammate, Kiki, her mom is my age. We have the same birthday. Like she's 40, the same way I'm 40. It's, she was like, oh, no worry. It's, she's a young mom. I'm like, she's a mom to my teammate. She's like, she's excited to meet you. I was like, yeah, she probably wants to like hang out and get drinks. <laughs> she wants to go for a drink with the legend there in Super. <laughs> but yeah, it's the same thing Brady's going through because Br you think about this. Brady is going to turn 44, I believe, coming up this August, right before training camp begins. He's hoping to play towards 45, maybe longer. Like, it's getting stupid yeah. at this point how long this dude is playing. He's but, definitely older than some of his teammates' fathers. Yeah, well, yeah, he's playing with his former teammates' kids now. Yeah. Like, like there's <laughs> there's Joey Porter Jr. There's Asante Samuel. There's, uh, like, all the – there's these guys that have been in around, either played against or played with Brady that their kids are coming through. And honestly – I'm starting to wonder whether or not the people he played with in 2000, 2001, whether he's going to play with their grandkids. I'm honestly not, <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't like in 20 years from now, we're all going to be laughing that we tried to make Tom Brady retire 17 times between 2015 and 2021 when he's still playing in 2041 with the grandchildren of Matt Castle. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is strange that Tom Brady is, uh, <laughs> is kind of ripping up all the, uh, norms in terms of oh you're this old when you retire and you're this yeah. old when you uh do this and your career starts to crumble and it's like well you just want a super bowl in mid 40s <laughs> yeah not not bad i would say uh next up for you here just to give kyle his playoff hockey fix here you go the winner from jack edwards oh boy He is so fired up in that clip. The video Man. of it is him just groveling for that yeah. throaty down low, try and hit the note that every play-by-play -play guy feels like he needs to hit note. I don't know what the hell Samson of the Washington goalie was doing. He stopped the puck behind the net and then he like paused for a sec. And then he was playing like duck, duck goose with the net. And he went out, like he went the long way around the net. And I'm like, I have no idea what you were trying to do. Here's the thing with the guy like, Jack Edwards, the play-by-play -play guy for the Boston Bruins. I'm fine with broadcasters being homers. Like, that's a local broadcast. Do what you want to do. Right. Um, I don't want to listen to it. I'm fine with you being a homer when they win the game and you're, like, pumping your fist and you're, like, hugging your broadcast partner. I'm fine with that. But to hear it for 60 minutes during a hockey game, just the homerous broadcast, I can't do it. I yeah. can't do it. Like, especially if I'm on the <laughs> other side, I'm like, this is nausea. <laughs> uh, next up for you here, Pete Carroll is what, Kyle? 60-something? 60, 60... Uh, He's in his 60s. 
Is he or is he in his seventies? He might be early. I, I think he's late sixties, maybe early seventies. You can let me know. But uh, this week he went and tried to rip the ball out from somebody during a mini camp for the Seattle Seahawks. <laughs> Broke his arm. Uh, well, he went to go rip it out, and the guy ended up fighting back, and he went to the ground. He went to oh. the ground, rolling around for the ball, and he ended up losing it. But this is the audio clip afterwards when the media asked hey, him about off, it. I want to make sure you're doing okay after getting ran over by Cody Thompson out there on the field. No, no, I went for the forced fumble there. Didn't you see that? I was getting the ball I did, out. I did, yeah. Ball came out. I didn't come up with it, though. I think maybe a couple of years back I'd have come up with that ball. But, uh, you know, Cody did a better job scrambling for it. It's an amazing clip to watch a young, athletic, trained person in murdering people on a football field get into a fight with a 70-year-old and take him to the ground. And the 70-year-old in all white, white shoes, white pants, white long sleeves, shades, pops up onto his feet and high-fives them and keeps going on with practice. If I tackle anybody who's in their 70s, I'm probably injuring them severely. I don't know how Pete Carroll does it. He is, for everything that he has not been in his career at various points, whether it be USC evacuating the premises right before Reggie Bush and all that scandal happened with the Trojans, or yeah. if it's his time in New England or uh, in Seattle with the call on the goal line against the Patriots, whatever, that dude is so cool. Like he, we do not appreciate Pete Carroll. I don't think enough. Yeah. Um, born September fifteenth, nineteen fifty one. He's sixty nine, so he turned seventy this year. Nice. Um, and that guy is still uh, falling to the ground with uh, world-class athletes and uh, athletes that weigh significantly uh, more than him. Um, and I worry for the health of P. Carroll that he's going to do that one time and he's going to break everything. Yeah, I feel like that's an inevitability. He's, never, he's like Brady. He's never going to know his age and he's just going to end up doing something that's deeply irresponsible. But He started his coaching career in 1973. That's crazy. They were still running the veer. They didn't even know about the forward pass back then. <laughs> uh, last one that I got for you here is actually a series of clips, okay? And this is because something incredible happened this past week. It was actually back on Monday where we end up having the Marshall Thundering. Did you see this story, Kyle? The Marshall Thundering Herd, okay, as an unranked team, they just went through the NCAA Division I Men's National Soccer Tournament as an unranked team, they get in and they start knocking off school after school after school after school after school, and they end up making their way into a national semifinal. They're playing against North Carolina. Question comes in from a reporter uh, after they beat North Carolina in the semifinal. Were you concerned at all knowing you'd have to come and play North Carolina in their backyard with them having the home crowd behind them? Here's what the coach of the Marshall Thundering Herd men's soccer program had to say after they had already beaten North Carolina. <laughs> Did you see the game? Uh, it was only a herd crowd. I couldn't hear UNC at all. We weren't concerned about them. <laughs> it was only a herd crowd. We weren't concerned with them at all. And they end up making their way into the national final. Okay, It's the College Cup, I believe is what it's called. But they end up getting there and it goes to overtime, and it makes SportsCenter because guess what happened, Kyle? An unranked team does this. Florida State, and it is Santa Clara with the chip. How about the men's side? Marshall and Indiana, game went to OT. Vitor Diaz shoots, goalie saves it, and then Jamil Roberts right there. Knock it on home. Thank you for my life. They're just kids. Marshall is the national title, one nothing. So that's Kenny Maine on the call from SportsCenter. But, like, it's it's an incredible call from the English version, first and foremost here. Laid off to Diaz. He'll take a shot. Bounces back. Still Diaz. Shot. Digs through. It's hit across. And it's almost there again. 
So it's the first title in school program history, and they beat the three-seeded Indiana Hoosiers program as well. So that's all incredible. Uh, but the last thing I want to give you here before I get to the uh, the great sound of one of the players from Marshall is the ESPN Deportes call of that overtime goal. Again, three minutes left in OT. Nil-nil <laughs> is the score going for the national championship. Joseph, dejó por adentro para pegarle al arco. Quedó el rebote, vuelve al arco. sports uh so good so congratulations to the herd for everything they accomplished this year doing that because we do have a funny relationship with them and i tweeted out i said this is the funniest thing kyle remember how you're like it's the greatest marketing plan we've ever had i tweeted out a, a single picture of me in a marshall thundering herd hat on monday afternoon before the national championship game they played in and i just said we are in the tweet it got like 70 likes <laughs> i was like what are you guys doing from marshall where you think that we are this connected to everything and uh, here is one of the players from the Marshall Thundering Herd with what I thought was just like the most legendary post-game sound. I don't, know, I don't know about the rest of my teammates, but I've been laughed at for telling people that we can win a national championship. It's like, for Marshall, who? You know, but not bad for a little school from West Virginia with a bunch of internationals, eh? There is so much happening at the back end of that clip. I don't know where that man is from, but he says, in an accent, not bad for a little school from West Virginia. A. I'm like, whoa, Canadian, you're from somewhere else, West Virginia, you're somewhere in like middle America. I'm like, there's a lot happening there, but it's a pretty cool story. Isn't it unranked to win a national championship? Yeah. So congratulations to the Marshall Thundering Herd uh, soccer program. It's, it's weird to me because I did see the story and I saw the reaction to it. And I'm like, maybe I am in the, just in the dark about this on how much soccer is growing in not Canada, in America, like in America, it is exponentially growing. And it seems that way because Major League Soccer adds four franchises every year. Yeah, well, I'm like I'm Major alive. League Soccer, at some point, you're going to have to limit this. If soccer is not a sport meant for a 32-team league, <laughs> they're going to try to do it. I don't know how it's going to work out. I think there's too many teams. Um, but uh, Garber, the, uh, the commissioner of Major League Soccer, he is a big proponent of hey, we're just going to keep adding teams until we can't afford it anymore. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's going to try to NFLize the MLS as much as humanly possible. Obviously, that is the business plan for them there. Yeah. So we'll see how that ends up turning out for him. Now let's dive into the three-minute warning and wrap up for you. Get ready, get ready. Let's go, a little urgency. Here we go. Let's go. We're almost out of here. This is the three-minute warning brought to you by... It's brought to you by Kane Madden, the best Madden since John. Do you know who Kane Madden is, Kyle? You familiar? It has a little tie into our friends here from uh, All Things Thundering Herd. Kane Madden. No. Yeah, Kane Madden was the starting right guard for the Thundering Herd this past year. He has entered the transfer portal, uh, so he is leaving Marshall. No. Yeah. Now listen to this though, because you, you might go, Kane, offensive linemen don't get the credit. We don't know how good they are. It's tough to be able to judge these things. I watched every Marshall game throughout the year. We had a lot of fun with it back in the fall. He said he's a beast. Monster. Like, just like first-round NFLer type stuff, watching him play football. And to prove that, 
I looked up when he saw that he entered into the transfer portal because I'm going, oh man, what? Like, how good is he actually gonna be looked at here? Could he end up at like Bama or as like a major transfer yeah. to an SEC school or something? And Pro Football Focus listed him as a first team All American. Okay. Whoa. Yeah, first team All American, zero sacks or hits allowed on every single pass snap of the year for Marshall, and his 93.4 run blocking grade per Pro Football Focus was nearly five grading points higher than that of any other guard in college football in 2020. I'm like, if this dude doesn't end up at Ohio State, Bama, or Clemson, somebody's doing something wrong, but he's going to transfer <laughs> out of Marshall, and he's going to get taken, I think, in the first or second round in next year's NFL draft. Does he just end up on, like, West Virginia? Oh, I don't think so. I don't think that's a very big step up. I mean, Holgerson's I, still there? Uh, no, he's at Houston, actually, now. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's down there with uh, – it's funny because I always think that Dana Holgerson just running into June Jones in the hallways of the University of Houston Stadium where the Roughnecks <laughs> played, I'm like, that would be so amazing. Like, they must just, like, go <laughs> go for lunch with each other and talk about offensive football and just be so weird. Which, by the way, I had a weird – I got to just bring this to you at the end of the show today because I find this so funny. I have a texting relationship with June Jones that I can't explain. And I'm not doing this to name drop. I'm just doing this because I find it so ridiculous. So – uh, I ended up sending him uh, a note when I watched two seconds of the Spring League last weekend because they had Brock Hewitt on the broadcast and he was mentioning uh, <laughs> he was mentioning how the run and shoot was being run by this team in the Spring League and they mentioned a bunch of names and they didn't mention June and I was like uh, I texted him I go why are they talking about all things dealing with uh, you know the run and shoot and they're not really mentioning you. And he's, and he was like, uh, I don't know, but it doesn't really matter to me. I'm okay with it moving forward. I think everybody knows what I can do at this point. I'm like, yeah, probably. And then he saw that I did an interview with Bo Levi Mitchell. And uh, and I was like, yeah, he talked about the importance that uh, your trust in him had at SMU during the tough times and becoming a developer. June said, cool, Bo's a winner. Won a championship at every level. Dot, dot, dot. Send me the interview with Bo. Would like to listen. Sure, it was good. Hope all is good, bro. Aloha. I'm like, I don't know why we have this. Uh, and then I tried to send him the link and he shot me three Shaka emojis and said, send me the clip tomorrow. Am not a computer genius. Three smiley face emojis. And I said, it's okay. You make up for it with knowing how to score the football. And he said, yep, damn right. Red zone's my specialty. <laughs> I was like, man, what a guy. Uh, thank I you. Miss so, I do. He's fun, man. Uh, it's nice to still have connection with him, though. I'm sure we could get him on the podcast here and hang out with us whenever we want. So thank you for tuning in. We do appreciate it on the podcast. Of course, CF Perspective is where you can find us on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, check out our social with some exciting stuff we got coming up. Some new additions to the team, some more written work, a little bit more editorial stuff as well. And of course, Kyle Mello diving in on his Twitter at Kyle underscore Mello underscore. I might change all, that to, to to give you. Well, let me know if you do, so I don't uh, self promote wrong. But yeah, uh, all things Leafs, I'm sure, will be on your mind uh, coming yeah. up here in the next week or so. Yeah, a uh, lot of uh, Leafs hockey, um, Formula One. Um, mm -hmm. Man, these breaks from Formula One, they're literally killing me. I'm like, oh, I want to get so out. far into it. I, I know, know. I, I know. stretch it out, but um, yeah, it's just uh, the way it is. Um, but yeah, uh, we'll uh, we'll talk next week. Hopefully uh, then we can um, maybe celebrate a, a Leafs uh, big series lead, maybe three, nothing uh, again. We'll see. Um, but uh, until then um, it's been, uh, it's been good talking. Um, it, it's funny because we do this uh, once a week um, after letting go at TSN. I was like, oh, man, it's going to suck not doing this every day. 
but I look forward to to Thursdays yeah. when we record this. Same, man. It's always fun. It's great to sit down and uh, and rehash some of the chemistry that we had on air and always enjoy bouncing around some things. And hopefully we're talking about a Leafs victory uh, maybe quickly, maybe a longer series. We'll see. But we could also be talking about a CFL schedule release at this time next week, perhaps, depending on what happens with the government of Ontario, BC, and Alberta. So we will I'm one through. dose down. Uh, I, that's great. I'm glad that you were <laughs> feeling good after you got it done last week as well. I'm actually getting mine next Thursday, so I will be fresh off the shot when we record next week. Tune in next week to find out, do I have any <laughs> symptoms right here on Marsh and Mellow Canadian Football Perspective. Let's see if we can make some lemonade out of this lemon that we're in the middle of. Turn a red light into a green light. Just keep living.